Whether in the media, our government, or our schools, Christianity faces tremendous intellectual persecution. This program stands on the intellectual front lines. With disarming honesty, we engage the most difficult issues facing Christians today. I want to welcome you to Theology Unplugged, the radio outreach of Credo House Ministries in Edmond, Oklahoma. We sit down over lattes at the Credo House coffee shop and just talk theology. I'm Michael Patton, president of Credo House Ministries. I'll be leading the discussion along with Tim Kimberly, director of ministries for Frontline Church Edmond, Sam Storms, lead pastor of Bridgeway Church, and finally J.J. Side, pastor of community and discipleship at Bridgeway Church. Fellas, it's great to be back with you guys. Uh, we had a lively discussion last week around sanctification, around holiness, and uh, we're, we're Tim, narrowing Tim, in. Tim, how are yeah. you? Are you more sanctified today than you were a last. week ago? You know what, brother? I think based on our discussion, I'm not sure because I, I do feel like when I look at my life, it doesn't feel like it's a trajectory going up, but, but JJ gave the yo-yo. So I think I'm, I think my yo-yo has kind of, it's on its way up maybe, but hopefully the Lord walked up the stairs. I, I is think, that, I think you, is look, that you look better. Enough? You look better. <laughs> Thank you. I feel like I'm just going to start crying and mumbling stuff here any moment. I think people, so. we left them last week crying and mumbling. <laughs> I think right. they were pulling their hair out. Oh, I think, I think out. everybody needs a hug. Yeah. <laughs> well, God though, I think throughout church history and many of us are loved of church history, uh, it seems like he puts signposts along the way that the Holy Spirit works through people who love the love Jesus, love the Bible, and have put signposts along the way that say, "Don't don't go this way, don't turn here, stay stay the course, stay the course." It seems like he puts ditches and sometimes uses scripture to build ditches so that you say, don't fall this way. But then if you go to the other side of the road, he says, don't fall into this ditch either. And so in this issue, we're in agreement that there are ditches and there are signposts that have been laid out that say, as you think about what it means to grow in Christlikeness throughout a lifetime, don't think this way. In the words of Martin Luther, the church is like a drunken peasant who, in order to save himself from falling off one side of his donkey, promptly falls off the other. I interrupted <laughs> Tim earlier, and we are talking about sanctification. We are talking about growing in the Lord. What's that word mean? That's a $10 word. To, to become more Christ-like. To Except when it means something else. Become more <laughs> set apart. Yeah. What's the other, and what's the other way in which it's used in the Bible? Um, Two senses, know. right? I don't know. Tell me. <laughs> we used the words positional and progressive last time, so it's good for people to know that in a sense... I wasn't listening. We're drilling, we're drilling down into looking at progressive sanctification. Progressive sanctification is something that can only happen to somebody who's already been, in the past, positionally sanctified. They've been made holy in one sense, where their status before God is now holy, righteous, and blameless. And yet, in another sense, they're being called to act what they are. Yes. That's to steal a phrase like from one of my Sam professors. Said last time, though. <laughs> Sam really messed me up. Yeah. And I, I am less sanctified this week than I was last because of Sam, and I'm just been struggling with uh, his statement. I am the Holy Spirit in your yeah. life, buddy. I'm... <laughs> I'm there to probe and to convict and to uh, um, unsettle your soul. Well, okay, there's certain things that we're going to maybe disagree about later, but there are things we agree about that are really, as we said, Tim or J.J. said, ditches mm -hmm. that we need to avoid. What is the primary ditch that I think everybody in the church would agree we avoid? I, and I'm talking Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholics, and Protestants all agree avoid this ditch. I think the one that I would immediately identify is this idea that um, I can um, exert power 
from within my own self, by my own will, independently of and without assistance from the grace of God. This kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps, self-help uh, transformation. Um, the, one of the biggest, as we all know, one of the biggest controversies in the history of the church was between a man named, everybody knows, Augustine and Pelagius back in the latter part of the 4th, uh, early part of the 5th century. Pelagius basically said, when Jesus made this statement in Matthew 5, 48, you must therefore be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, he said, that necessarily implies that I can be perfect, and I don't need the internal... That's what you sound like. Yeah, that I don't need the internal grace of God to help me do that. Um, the, the illustration, so you are not Pelagius. Here's the illustration. Uh, a guy said, what Pelagius would argue is this, we're at a track meet. And a guy is running, um, let's say, the mile, and he's on his third or his fourth lap. And God plays the role of the coach, and all he can do is stand on the sidelines and cheer you on and tell you how you're not running in good form and you need to change your stride and you need to lift your arms and you need to slow down the pace or increase the pace. But that's all that God can do. He's pretty much an external coach or cheerleader as over against the idea that God can actually enter into the very body and soul and spirit of the athlete and energize him to finish the race mm -hmm. and win. And so Augustine said, uh, in sanctification, God is actually in us. Grace is an internal energy and power that enables our wills to make right choices and propels us forward in conformity with Christ. Pelagius and those who followed him in the history of the church say, no, we don't need that. We're not so bad off in terms of our fundamental moral nature that we require God function within us. All we need him to do is give us his law, tell us what to do, and then it's left up to us to figure out how to obey it. And Whatever that has massive ramifications in the church, I would say, because and the illustration I use, I mean, I think the track illustration is amazing, but I think like when I think of Pelagius, I think of like the soul aisle at Home Depot. That uh, and and Jesus has built that aisle. Uh, God has had, has stocked that aisle up. Uh, but and you can go down that aisle when you need to. And and what Pel what Pelagius would tell you if you say I want to look more like Jesus, he'd say, well, go down to that aisle and you do that stuff and and you know do it, just do it. Uh, then but Augustine, uh, I think probably something that frustrated Pelagius was when Augustine wrote command what you will, will what you command. So God, whatever you ask me to do, you're going to have to do it. <laughs> you know, w whatever you want me to do, there is no chance I'm going to be able to do it unless you actually do it through me. Which reminds me of another thing Augustine said, which is one of my favorite things he said. The illustration was amazing. <laughs> the, oh, the, the Home Depot soil aisle? You, know what, you said his was amazing, and then you gave another one. If it's amazing, <laughs> you can't go above amazing, so why give it Okay, so one? you don't think Sam's was amazing, but you uh, think mine was amazing? I'm just saying, uh, save, I think it's save the other it, way around. Save, <laughs> save the big amazing words for something. That, now you can't go any higher. Sorry. Augustine. <laughs> also said uh, he bids us do what we cannot so that mm -hmm. we might know what we ought to seek from him he bids us do what we cannot. Why? To, to jack with us? To mess with us? No. So that we might know what we ought to seek from him. We're, we're saved by grace, undeserved favor from God outside of us, and, but we're also sanctified or changed by grace. And Pelagius would say, no, if, if he tells us to do something, if he commands, if he asks, that necessarily implies we have the power within ourselves to obey it and to fulfill it. Yeah. And the Augustinian view, which is my view, and I think the view that we share here is um, that 
Philippians 2, 12, and 13 is a direct contradiction to the Pelagian idea, where mm-hmm. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who is at work in you to will and to do for his good and, pleasure. And the reason, I mean, in the Pelagian view, is just it's not just a, a struggle within the church. It's just a common view of man. Right. I mean, it is. you have to be taught from the Bible uh, and learn something from the Bible that, that it doesn't come naturally whenever you cease to be Pelagian. Most people out there do believe that whenever they make decisions, whenever they choose what's right, whenever they become better, they are the first cause. It comes from them. It comes from decisions that they've made. They have they have worked themselves into the position that they're at, and everything that they have done is really their own effort and their to their own credit. That's so good, Michael. It's the essence yeah. of idolatry, as D.A. Carson calls it. It's the de-godding of God. It says that anything good in my life, I get the credit for. I'm self-actualized. I'm self-directed. Uh, and it's good for us as, as Americans, especially for Americans who are listening to this broadcast. This is in the water. This is Ralph Waldo Emerson. This is Thoreau. Mm-hmm. This is Daniel Boone. This is Ben Franklin, who everyone, you know, how many people could we poll on the street in America? Uh, is this, where is this Bible verse found? God helps those who help themselves. And they like, oh, maybe I think it's in Corinthians or something. You know, it's not a, no, it's a, it's a quote, a semi-Pelagian statement by, or a full Pelagian statement by Ben Franklin. God helps those who help themselves. I Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You slander Daniel Boone. I mean, how low has this program stooped Did you that know we're that? dragging them through the mud the name of a great American Did hero you know like that? Daniel Did you Boone? know that there was a survey that was taken and that was God helps those who help themselves. Everybody's favorite Bible was verse. Was everybody's yeah. favorite Bible verse. I can't believe Mine Daniel Boone would ever have said something so heretical. <laughs> Maybe Ben Franklin, not Daniel Boone. So Augustine comes in and says we're fundamentally broken you you cannot help yourself you you are you you have to have the grace of god god's grace is absolutely necessary for anything in our life us on our own we can't do anything but there there's another view out there and i'm just going to talk about a nuance of this view because i think we'll get into uh, some more of the particulars of it but that is that we uh, none of us here sitting at this table are roman catholic but uh, there is a view in Roman Catholicism that because you do have to become perfect, that there is a place that you have to go to in order to be perfect, this kind of in-between state. And so you... And you're you talking do, about purgatory, right? Let me get there. Well, I'm, I'm just... I'm building. I'm okay. building. <laughs> Michael just lost his sanctification. Oh, <laughs> just slipped right out the door. That's a good example of Romans 7, I think, right now. Well, well you do all you can in this life, and you're not going to be able to do everything. There's going to be sins that are left on your soul. There will be problems that you have, vestiges of, of your old self, um, the, these will be venial sins, meaning sins that are not uh, uh, sending you to hell, not the really bad sins, but we'll all die and we'll still have problems. And so we have to go to this place before we get to heaven, and we, because by the time we get to heaven, we have to be perfect. It's kind of this this washing up before dinner. You gotta take your final bath, and purgatory is this place you go to where you purge the finality of your sins, so that you can be perfectly sanctified. And I don't know of anybody except for martyrs in the Roman Catholic Church, because if you are a martyr, then you go 
instantly to heaven. You kind of bypass purgatory. But uh, everybody else has to go to purgatory because sanctification is a necessary part of making it before God. We would all agree that that is outside the bounds of at least Protestantism, and I would say just outside the bounds of the Bible as well. Correct? Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, these aren't disputed texts. These there are no texts. This is this is a a, a very creative idea. So so let's go the other side of the road and go into the other bar ditch. You know, we've got some people who would say, um, um, such as you know that that, that sanctification is uh, impossible. That uh, that we're that we're always going to remain. Uh, largely in the condition in which we find ourselves. What about those who would say that sanctification is attainable? And by that I mean uh, that we can reach a state of sinless perfection in this life. Um, it's bizarre as that may sound, I've had many people over the years come to me and suggest in a rather humble and meek voice that they believe they have, have attained entire perfection and that their lives are free from sin altogether. Uh, is that something that um, that we that we laugh at, or is it something that we admire? Is it something that we uh, uh, want to say? Look, the Bible clearly contradicts it, or is it something that the Bible holds out as a real possibility? Well, you know, first of all, I would say uh, that is some, that was uh, within the Protestant tradition. We do have a large segment of people who confess this, and it's part of their belief system that you can and you should attain perfection in this life. And, um, you know, the question, I guess, is is why would they go there? Is, is it biblical or is it practical? Is somebody saying to themselves, man, I've really made it. I mean, today I feel like I am there, so I guess we can attain to it. Or do they have some type of conviction from the Bible where in the Bible it suggests that we can attain a sinless perfection? Well, and Sam asked, should we laugh at this view? And I would say, you know, I would answer that from the side door and say they should laugh at themselves. People that say that have lost their sense of humor. They've lost their sense of humor because they've stopped laughing at themselves. Anybody that thinks they've achieved that kind of entire sanctification has completely just become disconnected from their own goofiness as frail human beings. Man, he, he's tough, isn't he, Tim? <laughs> he's, he's tough right now. I think, okay, so here's, uh, let me try and pull these things together, though. So uh, last week, Sam, you were very strong on saying that our sanctification is necessary and is potentially, and is necessary for us to make it to heaven. Let's just say that as like a very high-level statement. Our sanctification is necessary for us to make it to heaven. And then Michael pushed back against that of saying, well, you know, there's, we do things that we don't want to do. And now with Augustine, we've seen that God is the one that makes our sanctification possible, he, that he is the power behind it, and that we don't just pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. So therefore, if I see someone who is not being sanctified, or if I feel that I'm not being sanctified, is that God's fault because he is not sanctifying me, because he is not the power? So if, if you say that God, that it's necessary for me to be sanctified, uh, then you're saying that God is the one that has to do it, and if I'm not being sanctified, is that God's fault? 
Well, first of all, let's let's clarify because this could be a little confusing here. In saying that we it's must we must be sanctified in order to do. Do. I'm trying to clarify it. I'm not, <laughs> not clarifying not <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying that we have to attain a state of sinless perfection in this life in order to enter into the next life. That's not what I mean. What I mean is is that there must be a progressive um, mortification of the flesh, putting to death of the deeds of the flesh and a gradual incremental growth in conformity to the image of Christ in which the fruit of the Spirit is progressively displayed and in evidence in our lives. Because I see too many texts in Scripture that tell me that in the absence of that kind of transformation, we question whether or not an individual's profession of faith was genuine and real. So I'm not suggesting at all that there has to be a a sinless um, uh, standard that to which we attain, whether by our own efforts or by God's grace. I don't believe that. But I do believe that there must be growth. Um, and I, and I, I'll come back to, um, to something Michael said in our previous broadcast last week when he said, uh, he talked about wrestling with uh, indwelling sin and struggling against the power of the world, the flesh, and the devil. To me, the words wrestling and struggling are key. We're not suggesting, I'm not suggesting anyway, that we have to experience ultimate and final triumph over them in order to be saved. But I'm saying if you are saved, you will wrestle. You will struggle. There will be an ongoing battle. It may be one in which you suffer setbacks and defeat, and you find yourself in in bondage to some particular addiction or enslaved to some sinful habit, but you hate it. If you truly know Christ, you'll hate it and you will struggle by the power of the Spirit to break free of it. If there's no struggle, if there's a total acquiescence to, well, this is just who I am, uh, this is just how, I, mm-hmm. uh, how I'm wired, and there's no conviction of sin, and there's no desire to be more like Christ, then I have some serious concerns about that person's soul. Sam, I got some yeah. concerns about you right now. Actually, I'm. It's I'm, a, the, you know, I'm number to, one. Number one, I kind of want to reach over and just hold your hand while you're saying that because that was just great stuff. But number two, that's something we say at the very end. That was too good. All right. So everybody well, just act like that was not said. Yeah, repeat that. I mean, we can just stop let, now. Let's cut and paste that <laughs> later on because that's a summation of so much. But listen, listen to this verse. Okay, I'm going to read it twice because you guys are going to have to take some time to think about what to do with this, okay? This is from 1 John 3, 6, and we're still talking about entire sanctification. Can we be completely sanctified? No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Now, that was from the New International. I'm going to read it from the English Standard, so Sam will be happy. Um, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Sounds the same to me. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known it. That verse scares me to death. Well, and here's a man who's speaking. Good. It's and- supposed to. That's <laughs> no, that, that, no, seriously. Thank you for saying that. It is designed to wake up people who may be slumbering. I'm not saying you're slumbering, Michael, but it should shake us to the core of our being that that kind of a of a declaration is made it's very similar to to romans chapter 8 verse 13 if you live according to the flesh you will die 
But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Those are texts that ought to shake us up. Well, well, John, John that, can say JJ. that in the chapter 3 of his epistle because it's a letter. No one ever reads a letter a paragraph at a time and then sets it down and goes and does the dishes. But JJ, and a I'm, few paragraphs, I'm asking you a question real let quick. Let me finish. A few I, know, paragraphs. I know where you're going, but let me ask you a question. If you read that by itself, wouldn't you say that that is a good verse for people who believe in entire sanctification. They, they use it. That's one yeah. of their proof texts, yes. Yeah, if I'm deciding whether or not to commit suicide and I read the verse, go and do thou likewise by itself, I might make a bad decision. Reading he's verses just, by themselves just, is a bad idea. A hard liner, isn't it? And add to it the verse that says, and whatever thou doest, do it quickly. That's right. Is, that's empathy, right. is empathy a sign of sanctification? Because he has no empathy. Yeah. Reading well, verses by themselves has gotten us into a lot of trouble in the history of the church. <laughs> yes, that was well, written JJ, I I would disagree in this in that in the sense I would disagree that that is the context of I mean like so the verses that you shared that's not talking the about verses that I've that been interrupted from sharing that I haven't actually <laughs> sinfully <laughs> interrupted yeah so back repent. to chapter one he starts his letter by saying if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness we lie and do not practice the truth well what are you talking about John if we say we have no sin the truth isn't in us mm-hmm. so now a, a way to know that you're actually a believer is if you go around saying that you have sin in you, just like the anguished man in Romans 7. He says, man, I've still got all the sin in me, and I hate it. And then he goes on to say, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So the same man who said that if you keep on sinning, you're not a believer is the same man who said if you say that you don't have any sin, you're not a believer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Boy, it just got silent in here. There's a <laughs> pregnant pause there. <laughs> um, I think yeah. we need to keep talking about repentance. This conversation often plays itself out with too little talk about repentance. It not only needs to look like all the things Sam said of actual fruit of the Spirit in my life, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, self-control. Those things need to increasingly be in evidence. But, but again, what is the way that we grow? And the way that we grow is through repentance, not by messing up less, but by repenting more. And the more we repent, the less we'll mess up. But we don't start by trying to mess up less. We start by repenting more. Yeah, Sam and, was getting ready to ask me no, a I, no, I, no, I think that was great. And it just... We, we started out this program talking about um, bar ditches on the left and the right that we want to avoid. We've mentioned several. J.J. just mentioned another. There is an, a growing, more and more popular movement today, not in the ancient world today, which says repentance plays no part in the life of a Christian because we've already been forgiven of all of our sins in such a way that to repent is, in effect, to deny the reality of God's grace in our life. Mm. I mean, people might be saying, where is that? Well, trust me, um, open your eyes, read a few blogs, go to the bookstore, and you'll find it. And uh, obviously, it it doesn't wrestle thoroughly with all the multiple texts in Scripture that talk about repentance as a reality in the Christian life from the moment of our new birth to the time we enter glory. And I think as we move on in these broadcasts, it will become evident why these other views are not. I mean, we've dealt with them a little bit and kind of put them out there and just thrown them out and said that these are wrong. And some of our listeners may be saying, well, you haven't really dealt with why they're wrong and, and how they're wrong. But I think as we go through and talk about the different views that are more legitimate views of sanctification, Mm -hmm. then we will see why these have to be wrong, why they can't be right. Why it can't be right that we can live without the grace of God. Why it can't be right that purgatory is this final uh, place that we go to, and why it can't be right uh, uh, that um, we uh, can live this perfection. uh, Attain a sinless life, utterly and absolutely free 
from uh, any kind of bondage to the flesh or yielding to the world, the flesh, and the devil. Why are those possibilities not real? We need to address that. We hope you've enjoyed today's broadcast. If it's blessed you, they'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to join the group again next week for another edition of Theology Unplugged. Theology Unplugged is a listener-supported ministry of the Credo House. They're a theological hub and coffee shop, and their address is 109 Northwest 142nd Street in Edmond, Oklahoma, 73013. They're open Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 9 p.m., and Saturdays, 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Please consider this your official invitation. You're invited to come and visit the Credo House and discuss today's program or take a tour of the theologically rich surroundings. You might also enjoy one of their signature drinks like a Luther latte or a Nicene mocha. In fact, if it's your first time in the Credo House and you mention that you heard their program on Bot Radio Network, you can have the drink of your choice for free. For more information or to support this ministry, visit credohouse.org.